And now, when did that come out? Part of the Real Change Movie Podcast. And we are back in the saddle again. Thank you for hitting the download and welcome back to another episode of When Did That Come Out? An ongoing journey of two righteous dudes covering an entire year of film and 12 movies that came out for every month of that year. I'm Charlie Stabile, joined of course as always by my partner in crime, William Rankin. Will, how you doing? I'm doing well. That intro gets longer each time. (laughs) Oh, I can't curse at you right now, but I will later. I will later. Oh, all right. Well, let me ask you real quick. What are your thoughts on Matthew Broderick? Um, I, you actually, I think you took the line. Like, I don't think there's any better line than the one that you said when we talked about this a couple of days ago. The summation of his charisma is contained in this one movie. And this one movie alone, I would say very, very close, right behind it, Stepford Wives. About to say, and uh, neglected to mention the movie that we're talking about here, it is Addicted to Love. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, no. No, that, that... that quote pretty much uh, nails it. That, that uh, I can't take credit for it, though. My, my buddy Michael came up with that, who is a huge fan of this movie. Which, by the way, we are covering the June 1986 classic Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, now, th- th- this was this was kind of a tough call in the last episode. We weren't quite sure if we wanted to do this movie. It's a movie that a lot of people know about, a lot of people talk about, a lot of people have seen. Hell, I've seen this movie probably at least 15 times, and uh, I feel the same about it just just every single time, even since I first saw it when I was a kid. This was another one of those perennial Comedy Central staples that just never seemed to go off the air. Um, Will, uh, before you even saw the movie this time, well, what were your thoughts going into it? I know you weren't 100% sold on it, and neither was I, but like, what, what were your initial reservations thoughts about doing ferris bueller's day off um well i haven't seen i had not seen it um i'm trying to think it's got to be at least 10 years maybe more since i last saw it and wow yeah it'd been been and but it was a movie as a kid watched a ton watched it many many times and i don't know why because it was always on. Because well, that, I mean, it, we had a tape of it, so there was an effort that was put into this. Oh, you put the tape in, and I just like like it's one of those like I I can understand why I watched um, you know Midnight Run as a kid. I don't know. What sure. that, I mean, that's <laughs> I can understand to a degree though because like it's a pretty fun movie overall. This is st- again, it's not a take away from this, but I had a different feeling, a much different feeling this time around watching it. Well, so, a lot's yeah. happened for you in ten years, and I think I think that's a part of of the movie's charm. Uh, it's funny to to think of you know the first time I saw the movie, I was probably about ten or eleven years old, and you know I was just a kid. So the main character in the movie that that's the life that I'm going to have probably in six or seven years. You're either going to be Ferris Bueller, or you're going to be Cameron Fry, and then now watching it as an adult, looking back on it from an adult's perspective, it's a little bit different. It, it feels different. It's not just because of all the things that happened with Jeffrey Jones <laughs> over the years, but, but uh, that's a whole other issue. 
that makes you look at the movie a little different. But I think that's part of the movie's appeal uh, for people as as they get older. I mean, I know people that uh, just absolutely love this movie, and it's it's one of their favorite movies, and they quote it constantly. And we can get into that a bit more. Um, honestly, the main reason I think I wanted to cover it. Uh, not so much because I'm a huge fan of the movie, but I'm a huge fan of John Hughes. And we used to talk about John Hughes a lot back in the apartment that we used to live in. Um, basically in regards to, there just seemed to come a point where he, he just stopped trying. And not even like in the Robert De Niro kind of way. He actually just kind of stopped making movies. And and it, it was kind of a bittersweet thing. I remember I remember the uh, bits of the discussion and that he pretty much had said everything that needed to be said. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, although like now in a post Cubs winning the World Series world, I would love for, mm-hmm. I would have loved to have seen what he would do or even white since I know it he was more of a White Sox fan, it doesn't matter like in a right. in an era where now like, you know, even in a post Michael Jordan world, you know, like that city really changed from the 19 or the it's and it's funny it's like it's not even like the 80 he's really it's set in the 80s but his characters could be from the 70s or 60s you know what i mean right. like that's the fascinating i think that's the mentality guy. he brought to it yeah. yeah and and he it's just kind of a it's just kind of a fascinating guy i mean he kind of he just kind of came out of nowhere i think he worked for um national lampoon uh in his early days and then he went on to write national lampoon's vacation which is you know a classic and there there's he's got another writing credit in there but then he, he gets into directing and this is like a guy in his late 30s early 40s and he starts directing these movies about kids about teenagers and he and at least in my estimation he nails it uh with breakfast club and and weird science and even ferris bueller i mean this guy knew how to write for teenagers and that's what was so f- fascinating for me, looking at him. And then he would go on to do something like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, where he writes a movie just about adults, and he nails that too. Like this, I, I am a, a massive fan of the guy. Um, and it's not like it's not like everything he did turned to gold, because uh, my God, he started actually going by a, I guess, a pseudonym uh, in his later years. Did you know he wrote Beethoven? Was that under Langston Hughes? No. <laughs> I think it was under. I think he. I think he did that under uh, Edmund Dantes, the Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> yes, I think it's, it's. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this That's up. I think awesome. he used a real name from literature and and just. Uh, yeah, I don't want to have any any part of this. <laughs> and the right and the writer of Speed Three, Huck Finn. No, <laughs> uh, so John Hughes. He, um, I want to say the last movie I think he did in terms of directing was Uncle Buck. And then he wrote Home Alone. And then he did Only the Lonely. He wrote that. Home Alone 2. And then it's pretty much just he just kept making Home Alone. You know, with like Baby's Day Out. I, uh, he wrote that and Home Alone 3. So I always like to attribute that his, for me, my, his filmography goes to about 91, 92. Around that time. Because I, I, I can't leave out Only the Lonely. Yeah, right. that's that's a great. Sure. There is something about, the, and something about the way he, his movies clicked with John Candy's uh, personality. You know, uh, they they were a great a great team. But this is this is Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and he was the writer of the movie. He directed it and he produced it. And I love this combination because to me that means whatever I see on screen is exactly what the director wants you to see. Exactly, even though 
I, I read somewhere that the movie originally was two hours and 45 minutes yeah, <laughs> in its original cut. Wow. Did you read about that Charlie Sheen subplot? Yeah. I thought it that was really neat. unreal. Yeah. I loved it. I, I, was, I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. You know, don't want to get too much into it. But basically, yeah, Ferris felt that he failed Charlie Sheen as a friend. And, and uh, that's why Charlie Sheen turned to drugs. And, and that's why he's, he cares so much about Cameron. But I mean, I don't necessarily need it. Uh, the, Cameron makes a point in the movie of saying that um, that they've been friends since fifth grade at, at least. So it's it's not it's not wholly necessary, but it, but it's a it's a nice idea. It kind of humanizes Ferris Bueller uh, as a character a bit more because honestly, I mean, it's it, he's such a caricature. Uh, do, do you? I mean, do you feel that way? Like, like he was written to be like the ultimate version of what we think a teenager should be in high school yeah i mean and and that's the thing like when you grow up and get into high school and you've seen this movie you realize that like there's that there there's really no one person that embodies that type of charisma and that's fine because it's a movie like i get it uh i i found it fascinating though like i've and I think it's it's part it's you know part of your notes when you sent the production notes over here talk about it and you know I looked at it, it was like that does he really have charisma like at the same time like I thought right. about it and I was like you know uh, there are two characters I I see him interact with outside of the core group he interacts with the parking attendant and then the random guy on the street that like asks him for money and he he acts like the biggest prick and I'm like how are you charismatic. He does what? He, he, the guy on the um, the parking attendant guy, he just kind of acts like an like kind of like an ass to him, to be honest. And then the and then the he completely blows off that dude on the street. Well, did I lose you? I'm still here. Can you hear me? Oh, now I hear you. Fuck, lost you there for like a minute. Ah, <laughs> uh, we'll, oh. fi- we'll fix it in post. All right, what I was saying real quick is yeah, go ahead. What I was saying real quick is um. The guy on the on the street for money. That was the last thing I heard. Yeah, like he blows him off. Like he just stares at him and keeps walking. And it's like, I thought you're the guy who helps out everybody. Like everybody loves you because you help them out. And now, like when you're outside of like your comfort zone, which maybe this is something explored in that two hour forty five minute cut. I don't know. I just found it weird that his charisma seems completely devoid all up until that parade. Like the parade is where like I guess they saved it. Mm-hmm. And he just throws it out there. That's what I thought was weird watching this. And I was thinking about like, was this like what it, was this what I envisioned growing up to be like as a teenager? Right. I mean, and there's things about there's things about the character that that bother me. And I mean, this is kind of nitpicky stuff, but he actually does slap Cameron. He's when he slaps the phone out of his hand, and I was, you know just you know why would you do that? And Cameron makes a pretty big deal out of it, and and I honestly can't blame him. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite a, a line cross, I think. Uh, I mean, he's just slapping the phone out of his hand, but at the same time, I mean, I mean, he actually does get him a little bit and it, it, it's, which kind of makes Ferris look like a baby almost. Um, Matthew Broderick, uh, it, it, cause I want to say that the casting in this movie is superb. It is so good, uh, all the way around. With one minor possible change, and I hate to say it because I do like Matthew Broderick in the part, but, I mean, don't you think John Cusack might have nailed this a little better? Well, we, we saw years later with High Fidelity. What exactly. He, what he was capable of. That's why of. I bring it up. Yeah. When, when, yep. you, when you see what he's capable of with the, the breaking the fourth wall thing, like you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I would have dug, really dug Cusack in it. Now, the thing is, like, the... 
the other thing, uh, the other evidence I present would be something like um, One Crazy Summer. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. carrying a kind of teenage movie on the cusp of getting out of, you know, your, uh, of your comfort zone, getting on to the next part of your life in college. Like, I think those two pieces of evidence can kind of give you some, give you some ground to stand on that Cusack could have done this better. Would he have? I don't know. I mean, I think Eric Stoltz is a great actor, but man, he blew as Marty McFly, Marty McFly, apparently. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because Cusack, I think he had um, he had done one crazy summer and the Sure Thing, and the then sh- those are both really good movies. Those are both really good. But whether or not he could have handled something like this, granted, Matthew Broderick had only done, I believe, War Games, and had had he done the film version of Biloxi Blues? I don't know. I feel like because mm. I know he was doing it on Broadway, but I I, I honestly. I honestly don't. Re- I know he did the movie. I just can't remember if it if it had come out by that point. Um, and in Matthew Broderick, he has this this smarminess. And I watched a documentary about the movie on on the Blu-ray, and they they said that they made a conscious effort not to cast someone who could, who would come off as obnoxious. And <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm sorry. I just see Matthew Broderick as obnoxious sometimes uh, in the in the movie, and it's really not really a knock against him. It's more just it's just his persona, it's his personality, and and I can't help but think of other movies that he's in, where he just kind of grates on the nerves a little bit. Because like like you said, uh, or, or even Michael, it, it's this is a guy who used who all the charisma, all the sex appeal, if you want to call it, it's all in this movie. Because in every other part I've ever seen him in, for the most part. He's just a nerd, you know, like whether it's Godzilla or addicted to love, the producers, you know, these types of these types of flicks, um, war games, notwithstanding. But it's I just I find it weird to see all these movies with him in a cable guy, you know, and then go back to Ferris Bueller and just have to have to watch him in this movie. And not that he does a bad job. I believe he even got a Golden Globe nomination for it. But it just seems like it, it could have been something a little bit better. Yeah. Well, uh, to answer your question, it was two years later he did uh, Biloxi Blues. Oh, Biloxi Blues. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, so, were your parents this stupid? Uh, no. Uh, n- no. Neither no. were mine. No. Uh, <laughs> Not at all. I mean, my mom loved this movie, but you oh, know, she did. I, she did. Yeah. I mean, like my sister. If if I had to pick, like, who was the Ferris Bueller between me and my sister? Like, I was not. That was my sister. And she mm-hmm. didn't get away with <laughs> this type of stuff, even though, like, you know, she could, she, you know, uh, she had her own bit of charisma, I should say, if I, I guess I would say. But, uh, no, no, not at all. Not nearly mm. stupid. <laughs> no, it's just, it's, it's just borderline dumb. <laughs> and it, it actually is kind of aggravating to see, like, Ferris, an 18-year-old in the movie, baby talk with his parents. Oh my god! Like, like that actually just got on my nerves this yes. time. You know the way he did that, and and, th- and this is part of the thing with I guess with Broderick, where I'm like, oh, you smarmy, yeah, <laughs> can't say it, but it just it just got on my nerves uh, to 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 a point. Um, so I'll just come out and say it. So I'm going to tell you my problem with the movie right now. Uh, this is it's a three act movie. It's 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 a pretty well done three act movie, and and you can tell exactly where it it, it starts. And goes into the next one simply based on the fact that for me, Act Two is is just a hodgepodge of stuff. It, act One is so damn strong. I mean, it's good. Everything leading up to when they pick up Sloane, 
And then it's just, okay, well, what's Ferris going to do with his day? So they go to the art gallery. They go to a baseball game. They go to that restaurant. They actually get a lot done in this day. And it's just kind of, okay. <laughs> at, at, at least for me. No, I, you're right, though. Like, because there was something I connected to in, in, a, in a different way with this this time was like when when I worked for Verizon and there were just days where I'm like, not doing it, not going in, <laughs> not, nope, I'm using a sick day. Like those first like couple hours are exhilarating when you realize you're not going in. You it, and, that, and that reminds me in this movie, like those first couple of, it's really like all his talking to us through the fourth wall. All that stuff is gold. Like it's it's perfect. It is. It's perfect. But then like there's that, that portion when the day actually has to happen where you're like, oh, like in it, it, and, and you know what, maybe this, this may be where the movie gets dated, you know, because I thought a lot about like, what does this movie, um, what would this look like today? If you, if you're a teenager and you decide you're going to, you're going to pull a Ferris Bueller, like what's going to be involved with that? Well, it's probably going to be video games. If you're a guy, like probably around this age or something like that, I assume there's probably some type of games that are involved, things of that nature. None of the stuff they did, because the thing that made me laugh, I was like, dude, by by this point, if you lived in Chicago, you've probably done that Sears Tower thing already. Yeah, that's right. They, oh, my God. That's right. They go to the Sears Tower. <laughs> there's a parade. Let, 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 let's back up a bit. Let's get this timeline right. So the parents leave. The very next thing we see Ferris doing is sitting by the pool calling Cameron. Cameron will not come over. I'm guessing for like an hour and a half or two. It just so happens Cameron's not going to school either, <laughs> which didn't seem to be part of the plan. So he finally does come over. Now they have to they have to hatch a plan to get Sloan out of school, the, the girlfriend. Go get her. All right. Then they go they go get lunch, art gallery, parades, the tower, the the um, God the baseball uh, game. The baseball game. Uh, like all, this is quite a busy day. And as as Ferris points out, he has until 6 o'clock. He says it briefly once, and it's and I think that's when his parents get home. Right. And, and, and he's got a sister who feels put out. And, and like, A lot of people like to say that Rooney's the only one who can see through his lies. And as, no, no, the sister absolutely knows he's full of it. Right. Yeah, and she ends up having some kind of turnaround like it's it's very strange i think like the way that they have the entire school and what seems like the entire city of chicago just enraptured by ferris bueller and yet here's something that's funny charlie when you see him running home nobody knows who he is when he's running through their yard in their house his own neighborhood people are like man who's this dude and i love the scene it's great it's hilarious just him just it, trucking through there but well, nobody, i love when he goes back and talks to the girls oh, it's i always like that because <laughs> um, there's some about that I want to talk about later, but um, the, sure. Something interesting, like when you at, like, I just want to back up just for a second because there's a good yeah. point here about the parents and adults in this movie. The parents fall into one of two categories in this movie. They're either just oblivious and just dumb. They never had a childhood, or they're just non-existent in terms of Cameron's parents. Like they're just not there. They're completely, right. you know, ignorant to what their kids doing. I mean, I. I when you get into kind of the minutiae of this of this film, when you start kind of getting down to what Hughes was talking about, like the heart of this movie is really, really good. When it comes to you know, it's the the quote the end the quote to end the movie is that is the movie. 
That is what this movie is about. And that is something that is universal, without question. What's interesting, though, is kind of like the, uh, to me, like thinking about these are all kids who I bet become grunge kids later on because their parents, none of the parent, none of the parents that we see in the movie, or even I guess don't see in terms of cameras, none of them take active interest in their kid beyond just, you know, acting like they're they have like an eighteen year old baby in their house. Right. And I thought that was so weird watching it this time. Just like man, everybody's st-. and then like Rooney, I think idolizes him. I think he idolizes I think so too. him. I think he was way. picked on yeah. as a as a kid and wanted to be the cool kid. Yeah, that's that's definitely the vibe I get from Rooney. And Cameron, like, I mean, I used to pull this kind of crap when I was in in school, you know, living with my mom. And uh, even even when I would fake sick and, and just lay there and find a way to you know get, get a pull a ruse on her, she still came in and checked on me. She still came in. And came up to my bed and and wanted to know if I was going to school or not. And the reason I bring this up is because of Cameron. Like he he spends the whole movie talking about how much he can't stand his father and vice versa, but he doesn't say much about his mom. Are you? I mean, are you honestly telling me the mom doesn't never went into the room to see if he actually went to school? I I, I find that very hard to believe. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, and I guess one of the things, and this is the, I think fundamentally as film watchers. We, we we try to have it both ways, and it never works out. We either want to know everything, or we want to know nothing. No, nothing, yeah. And, right. And we never can make up our minds. You know, we're never satisfied. Like Not with some, this movie. Because you know what I mean? Like, there are plenty of movies you and I have seen where we're like, man, I love the ambiguity, how we don't know. No and Country then, for Old Men. Right. Yeah. But then there's some movies where we're like, man, that's BS. They need, <laughs> they need to expound on that point in Act 2, and they didn't. You know, right. and, and and that's what's that's what's funny in this movie is like there's so many things about Ferris, about his his family, Cameron. Like there's so many things that I want to know about. Like one thing I'm curious about is what happens after this movie ends to these True. people. I'm glad we don't have an answer to that. Yes, because you know, there there were talks to have a sequel uh, to this up until the point I believe when John Hughes died and Broderick always said he didn't want to do it. He said hey, it should just be a snapshot and and just leave it at that. Because, I mean, what else could you do other than repeat the movie? Because if we're talking realistic, um, and this is the point I was I was bringing up earlier when he brought up when he walks back and sees those women. When Sloan says, I, I had this reaction this time, when Sloan says, he's going to marry me, I was like, <laughs> nope. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I did too. You know, because it, it comes up earlier and it's like, oh my God, this movie's actually going to get interesting on a philosophical level through dialogue. When he's talking about marriage with Sloan and then Cameron starts talking about why marriage with his parents is terrible and why, you know, not marriage is no good. And I'm like, okay, okay. And Sloan is very negative about the idea of marriage. And then the scene just kind of ends. And then we don't hear another mention about this until he's going to marry me. (laughs) And Um, because I don't think so. You and I have known like we both kind of alluded to it earlier. We didn't we don't we didn't know a Ferris, but we knew people who had the qualities of a Ferris. You know what I mean? Some of the qualities. Sure. And I'd say 100% of them did not, like, they moved on to something else the second they got to college. And I... Oh, sure. You and I and- know now from, you know, we're being where we are in life that there is absolutely no way that they stuck together. And what I think would be even more interesting is I bet Ferris would struggle in college because he would not be the pe- the popular guy. You know what I mean? Now that's an interesting sequel. Yeah. No, no, no. That's a. I never thought of that. But yeah, just a twenty-one Jump Street kind of thing, where it's a reverse. 
Yeah, sure. Okay, absolutely. And that, and I think that would be, that would be interesting. I, Cam, Cameron, I, I, Cameron is a Nirvana kid. I see it happening. As soon as 91 oh, comes around, the hair is coming out. The, I mean, he made, maybe he joins Raven's flock and WCW. <laughs> I don't know, but like, <laughs> but next to Kidman, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like he seems like he's destined to become a grunge kid. <laughs> but isn't he your favorite character? I, yeah. I mean, what I enjoy is like, he has an arc. He's one of the, f- one of two characters that has an arc in the movie. Right. And, and that's, what's really neat. Like, um, it's, a. Uh, I mean, it, the car scene is fantastic because just as a monologue, it's very powerful work by Alan. I Ruck. think that's for me. That's the best scene in the movie. Uh, and Alan Ruck, yeah, he doesn't quite get the credit he deserves. Like when I think Alan Ruck, it's always this movie and the movies that he did with Yon Debont. You know, right. it's and, right. and those are bit parts. You know, it's like oh, this guy was so good. And and he's, I mean, it's weird because it's like oh, like watching this movie as a kid. Oh, I, oh, I'd love to be like Ferris Bueller. I want to be Ferris Bueller. Well, you're you're gonna be a Cameron. Like it's it's just the way it is. And and I don't think that's such a bad thing. I think honestly, I think the character of Cameron Fry is what grounds the movie in any form, in any sense of reality. Yeah. And 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 for me, he's the real heart of the movie. And d- did you ever? I know I know you saw it in the uh, in the notes that I sent you, but mm-hmm. did you ever read that fan theory from years ago? Yeah, and I mean, like I thought about it when I was watching this because I I had heard about that theory and I hadn't watched the movie since then until we were going to do this podcast and. When I when I watched it, I was like, "Yeah, the problem is like there's too much stuff that we're seeing that doesn't involve Cameron or Ferris, like going on at the school and stuff, for me to really buy into it." Like, I almost think like you could that that's a theory. Like, it's not to it's not to dump on it, but that is such an easy theory to apply to many movies that sure. have, that are a two hander, but with like a, a a buddy movie or something like that. You could you could honestly plug that in, but. To just to go with it. If we're going to go with it, it's interesting. It is a very interesting idea to another interesting layer to add uh, to Cameron without a doubt. I like it. I like it too. And, and we didn't say what it was, but basically there was a theory that came out several years ago that Cameron Fry is actually Ferris Bueller and Ferris Bueller is a figment of, of Cameron's imagination that he created to deal with his depression. Uh, an idealized teenager. Uh, or you know the idealized version of himself and it is a it is a wonderful theory it's actually one of my favorite fan theories of it's not one that i subscribe to i i I subscribe to very few i've found out (laughs) (laughs) now but i'm one of those guys man i'm like yeah you know what if it's not in the movie (laughs) then i don't think it's real but it it is nice to think about it's a different way to, to approach to approach the movie um, wouldn't he, wouldn't it be wild if, if Ferris Bueller, Ferris Bueller grew up to be Charlie Sheen in wall street, <laughs> Bud Fox. Yeah. He, he grows up to be Bud Fox. Like for whatever reason, like those, that's where I was like seeing like the end game for him is like, dude, you're, you're a guy in the eighties that is coming out of a big city. Like you're going to get wrapped up in this. It's almost guaranteed. Like I get it. Like he has this awesome stuff that he says, you know, about life and, taking a moment to enjoy it and it's like dude uh wait just wait just wait but at the same time and i hate sounding because it makes me sound old but at the same time he's 18 years old sure yeah you know and it's it's hard i always you know wanted to preserve the memory of being that age because you know everything 
basically everything feels everything that's real feels real about times 10 you know when you're that age and it's not to downplay you know the feelings of a teenager or or what they go through yeah. and make it sound like it, it's so much worse being an adult because in many ways for me at least it's easier than than it was back then but it's just like it's hard to buy into an 18 year old having you know that kind of world experience where where he could be as intelligent as Ferris Bueller appears to be you know he's almost like um it's almost like a, a different kind of grown-up version of Kevin McAllister, you know, with the way he rigs that house yeah. <laughs> to, to 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 deter anyone and everyone that comes to the door or his bedroom door. <laughs> Who's uh, once again parents are equally stupid. Well, I, I'd also like <laughs> to point kidding. out. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. They are. They are. His father looks right at him and doesn't recognize him. Like like this happens a couple of times. So his sister finds Rooney in the house, looks him dead in the face, kicks him, doesn't Dude, realize it's Rooney. That kick, that is still one of the funniest things in a movie to it's me. The, it's all in the editing. Oh, I, that editing is so God. good. Because there's no but way, she, like, I was thinking about it, I was like, man, that is, that. if you did that realistically, like, to get those three kicks like kicks up like that, like, I don't even think Rob Van Dam did that in ECW. Like, that's how <laughs> that's how quick those are. Well, that's I think that's how she got the part in Dirty Dancing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, that, it's that balance. But it's the parents. You just, oh man, you know, you got the principal calling you, telling you that you know he's he's been absent nine times, you know, nine times, and just no, nah, that's that's not my Ferris. And the dad, I mean, it just he actually sees him like standing next to him as he's driving down the road, and just no, no, I don't know what my son looks like from the side. So <laughs> how 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 stupid is it though that like I I wish they would have one thing I wish they would have just rebooked a little bit is. The absences are going down because Ferris is apparently hacked into it, which is awesome. War game style. But, like, he's watching it go down, and it's like, like he, it's not... Kind of like, defeats the purpose. Exactly. <laughs> no, 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 that always bothers me. That always bothers me. I'll tell you what else bothers me. Ferris Bueller is so cool, he doesn't He doesn't have a car. Cameron has the car. Yet he has this... He The sound system he's got in his room... That piano alone, I think, at the time, ran for a few thousand. It did. Oh, you're absolutely right. You nailed it. That <laughs> yeah. whole sound system. Is... Yeah, it's not. Yeah, because it's not just the piano. I mean, everything in that room that that's plugged into something <laughs> could have paid for a car, a nice car, back in '86. Oh, uh, so, so that's the movie, for, for the most part. And yeah, is there anything else you want to expound upon that, that actually happens in the movie that they either irked you or bothered you? Well, I'm gonna do one, I'm gonna do the opposite. Or something one you thing, like? One thing something I, you like? I, it, it's in that parade sequence. Like one thing I think is so cool is, um, and again, it's a one time where it seems like everything comes together and works the best. It's it, it's in the when he starts breaking into uh, twist and shout. The fact that you see so many people and you see a, they focus on a couple of adults. Like you see, a, obviously, the construction worker who didn't know what was really right. going on but you know god love him for dancing a little bit but it's cool to see him and you see his dad obviously all the way up in his building but you see these adults that take a moment to pause within their life which is busy and full of everything that's in ronald reagan's 1980s america just for a moment to pause and enjoy like obviously like it's it's i don't think i think it was strategic that they picked a Beatles song you know uh, right and it's cool to see them pause and they dance for a second like it's cool because it takes them back for just that second in time 
it takes them back and that that's where i'm like that's the power of where a ferris bueller that's his ultimate power right there is that moment to it's when he gives those people that moment to pause it's just the thing the other thing though like on the flip side of that like that's such a good moment what bothers me though is like i want to see like how did he earn these various people's like respect to where like they care about him living or being he- being healthy, you know what I mean? Right. Like, I that's one thing that is if it falls under that column of I wish that we had that we don't have in this movie, and that is just seeing like, why does that kid who's carrying around the Pepsi can accumulating quarters? Why does he like Ferris? What did he do for him? You know? Right. And that's that's just. I don't know, it's just one of those things, and I know, like, maybe that's kind of the cool mystery of it, is, like, he just has this way with people. Well, as we talked about, like, when he interacts well, with people... I want to see movie, it. I want to see the, I want to see the papers. Um, <laughs> and, but, and he's so smart and so intelligent, yet why, why in the world would he think reversing a car would get the mileage off of it? You know, he, he becomes Al Bundy. Yeah, well, there's like, well, why don't we just crack the odometer open, and I'm like... <laughs> I want to oh, see that's th- against the law. <laughs> I want to see that part of the movie. I want to see <laughs> that edit. <laughs> I love how he just said it flippantly, like it was an easy thing to do. <laughs> it's like you don't own a car yet. Apparently, you know all this stuff about him. Like this right. is great. Yeah. 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 It's good, and uh, I mean, it is. It is cool to see. It, I mean, even even in this, even with with uh, the ages that we are now, it is cool to see a teenager outsmart adults. I, I've 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 always I've always liked that, but even in the movies that I'm used to seeing, these these adults are a little bit smarter than this. <laughs> the, the only other arc that's interesting in this movie too is Jeannie. I think Jennifer Grey's arc I actually yes. liked a lot more this time than I ever have. It Her just, dialogue with Charlie Sheen is really good. It is. Like, it's really well written, and, and and Charlie Sheen he sells it perfectly. And I've heard he was unhappy with his performance in the movie. Yeah. But I I think it's great. Yeah. Like just how serious he is. And and you just know, like I, he he he's, he solves the problem. He solves her problem in an instant, and it's great because like like the way she plays it at the end, like after she's kissed him, and obviously she's kind of giddy and stuff like that. What's neat about it is like. You can tell just for a moment she's like, you know what? Why am I always so pissed about Ferris? I can have as much happiness as he does. It's I just have to I just have to not focus on his. I need to just focus on my own happiness, and that's what's really neat. Right. Although, although it's really weird when the car the car thing happens and she sees him and he sees her and it's like she's like immediately like, oh, I'm gonna bust him now. But then when I get back to the house, ah. Eh. It's okay. Well, maybe maybe the cop said something to her that pulled her over. <laughs> well, what happened to that? I, I, that was something. I was like, what What happened? Yeah, I didn't remember that. And because then I was trying to think. Well, now wait a minute. It's like when a cop pulls you over, that's not just like going through a drive-through. <laughs> like, they, you know, they, they've got some questions for you. And and there's Ferris. Like he just barely. He would have never made it to the house if she didn't get pulled over. Right. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. He was depending on that cop. But. Uh, it, you're right, though. It, 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 I actually think it's a it's the sweetest moment of the movie for me is when his sister Jeannie winks at him. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's like, oh, sister's got his back. Good, that's the way it should be. You know, it's a really nice, sweet, genuine moment, and and Ferris's acknowledgement of the moment is is really gratifying that uh, that his sister does in fact love him. Yeah, it's you're yeah. right, man. That moment, that's a moment. That's a good one. Yeah, that's it's it's good. It's really good. Um, so that's Ferris Bueller's day off, uh, the legacy uh, for this movie. I mean, the, my God, uh, when the movie came out, I mean, this movie had a $6 million budget. It did 70 
million dollars, which that is a hell of a return on investment. Um, I think uh, the, the universal theme that this movie uh, embodies and the one that the, the, the people feel when they watch it or feel when they remember it, it I mean, it's, it's very straightforward and simple. It's, just, it's really just a movie about freedom and, and, a, and having a youthful spirit in the moments. And it, re- it does resonate. It comes through as genuine. And that's just the magic, I think, of John Hughes and just the way that, that he could write uh, this kind of thing. And do you think it, re- it still resonates today? Like, oh, do you yeah, think yeah. if somebody new saw this movie for the first time that they would get the same feeling that we would, that we would get when we first saw it? That's tricky because I think the heart of the movie is uni- – I still contend – it contests is universal. It, it, it is timeless. That exists at any any time. I think no matter what year we are, we could always manage to stop and just kind of enjoy the moment a little bit more than we Does do. Does it mean something different to you now that you are married and you're a father, and and you're you're, you're and basically in your life, you're a lot closer to Ferris's dad than you are to Ferris. Like, th- th- does it does it mean something different to you personally? Uh, I'm not or? stupid. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, no, it's it, well. You're a hell of, a, of an interviewee. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, but um, no, it does. In a way, it does. Like that's that was the cool thing watching this is seeing it from a, a different character's perspective. Totally in this, but um, yeah, because like there there are gonna be those te- those teachable moments where it's going to be about uh, you know you know Wyatt or Liam. It's gonna be time to you know s- slow down, enjoy this a little bit more. You know, it's not. It doesn't just because. Um, we're working real hard to have this great, good grade in this class. Don't miss out on enjoying something else that has to do with your age, your school, your friends. You know what I mean? Like there's things like that that are going to be important. Now, the one thing I would say, though, when back to your question, though, of uh, if somebody saw it today, how would they feel? I, I do think going back to one of the first things we talked about in terms of his day, I think people would be like, man, I am bored because, <laughs> dude, this is a drag. You well, know? it's not like I don't like some of those scenes. I actually love the art gallery scene. Yeah. And it, the way it's shot, I love the three of them in different poses staring at the art. I love Cameron staring at, oh, that wonderful painting. Oh, I'm showing my ignorance here. I don't know what it's called, but they keep zooming in closer to Cameron, closer to the painting, closer to Cameron. And I, I, I absolutely adore that. Now, whether or not it fits in the movie <laughs> that I'm watching, I don't know. Yeah, no, but I mean, it's that scene. I I like the art gallery scene. I did. I liked it. Um, um, but uh, I don't know. It's it is it is such a weird. It's such a weird day. Like it's it's, you know, like we're gonna go eat at a fancy restaurant. Why did anyone say they want to eat there? Can we afford it? Yeah, that was the other thing. Like, wh- how what happened with the uh, <laughs> what happened with the bill there and everything? But you yeah. know, like that that that's um. That's just something I always I, I was thinking about watching. It was just like, wh- why are you doing? It? Is it just because it's something you've seen your parents do or whatever? Like you know, I, I I don't know. Like the thing is, like he makes a point of saying like this is the last time I'll be able to do this. So it seemed like there needed to be something a little bit more for it at the end to make like some stakes, maybe a little bit more with stakes to it. I don't know. Like that's one thing. Like just and again, this is nitpicking with it, but again, thinking about. What would uh, what would somebody now if you showed this to a fourteen or fifteen year old like what would they think? Well, a they'd be like, "Where's the cell phone?" Like that's that that that's <laughs> always my first thing too. I'm just 
Yeah, it's it's a drag, man. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I'm like, oh, this is pre uh, pre smartphone. Great, you know, because <laughs> I, I mean, immediately start thinking what new people would think of of the of a movie pre smartphone. But you know, <laughs> that's eighty years of cinema. So right, you know, right. deal with it. <laughs> <sighs> but anyway, so Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, Will, if you had to give it a rating out of a scale of one to ten, what would you give it? I'm still like, and it's not to be, it's, it's not to be silly in terms of like kind of keeping everything in the same bracket. But I still like, I give it a seven. I still like, I'm give not, it a seven. I, I really I, I'm not gonna go. I'm not. I can't go that much higher than that. I mean, like all the elements of the movie. Like, I mean, there, there's nothing about Hughes's directing or writing really that is is bad. You yeah, know? there's like, nothing wrong with the movie. No, like, it's like. The enjoyment levels, it, it, it's not what it used to be. It's a little, it's different in, in some ways. Like, it's it's a little more introspective than it is just sheer entertainment or whatever. But, uh, sure. But yeah, I, I, a seven, I, I'm comfortable with it. Like, I mean, like, uh, I, I mean, I, I would personally, I feel like if I was like, man, if I gave this lower than a seven, that means like I really like am dumping on this. And it's like, no, I, I, I can't though. I can't. Like, I, there's still a lot of this movie I respect. Where would you put it? About to say that's where I come in, William. Uh, oh, here it comes. Now, uh, <laughs> I, I don't mean this as a knock. I mean, I, I can't go higher than a six uh, on well, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's not far off. Okay, I mean, that, I, yeah, that's I, fine. But but here's the thing: in terms of sixes, this is one of the best sixes. Like this is a ten star six movie. <laughs> like, what, like when wow. I, yeah, if if. You know, when you think about that kind of rating, you're like, oh, that was a movie I saw at the theater last week that I'll never see again. But I, I can't go higher. But at the same time, I do revisit Ferris Bueller's Day Off every couple of years. And I do enjoy it. I do like it. But when you compare it, I, I can't help but compare it to other Matthew Broderick movies and more importantly, other John Hughes movies. Like we were talking about it uh, the other day, uh, Uncle Buck. We were talking about that movie. And yes, that's another one. There is nothing special about that movie. Like, right. uh, like n- nothing at all. It's a very basic movie. But the it's so well cast, it's so well written, it's so well performed that it goes above and beyond exactly what it is. And the only difference is, and I won't reveal my rating, but it's pretty damn high for Uncle Buck. Uh, and it, I think it does, w- with the formula, something, uh, something that at least I enjoy more than something like what uh, Ferris Bueller does. Now, like I said, though, not, not to knock on the movie. I think this is a really good movie. It's damn good. The, the, but... I was, I was say the one, other one besides Buck is Mr. Mom. I love Mr. No, Mom. Oh, thank you, thank you. I actually forgot to mention I that. Yeah, lo- John Hughes wrote that. Yes, mm-hmm. and, and did he direct it? I don't think so. I don't think no. he did, but I think he wrote it. Um, mm-hmm. I yeah, I know you're a big fan of, of Mr. Mom. It's, yeah, it's only gotten better too, just because now I, I now I've been there, and so <laughs> it, and it's awesome. God, that's good stuff. Yeah, John Hughes. I mean, he was a one of a kind. He was a great talent. Um, God, what? How long has he been dead now? Seven, eight years. Yeah. Uh, he went out for a jog and had a heart attack. Uh, if if you've never seen it, um, and this goes to our listeners too, uh, the Oscars ceremony from the very next Oscars after he died was wonderful. They did a great tribute to him, and they brought on as many people from his movies, for the Brat Pack, basically, uh, on stage as they could, and it was it was very moving and very touching. Especially for a guy who, at that time, hadn't made a movie in about like eighteen to twenty years, and he was he was a real talent. And my God, the way he wrote, Ferris Bueller was written in six days. 
planes, trains, and automobiles was written in three days. Like this, I mean, this guy was as prolific as it gets for a very short period of time. So, and he's got a wonderful legacy. So, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Anyway, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, in the meantime, uh, check us out on Twitter at Real Change Pod. Also, check us out for our next episode where we will be covering July 1986. Me and William are going to be checking out Aliens uh, on the next episode. So get ready for that. In the meantime, I am Charlie Stabile at CM underscore Stabs. And I am at William Rinkin 83. And we'll catch you next time on When Did That Come Out? Thanks again.